last week, uh, we're ending with uh, the idea that uh, basically this. Here it is, this, this topic here. And things are working. The friend or the help we need. Pentecost really is about the friend or the help that we need. Uh, Jesus, again, it said, you go wait until you're filled with the Holy Spirit or until you receive the promise of the Father and wait until that occurs. And so Pentecost is, in my judgment, this, this notion, this idea about this friend that we need, the help that we need. And last week we finished with, in any friendship, you know, some of us have long-term friendships, some of us have short-term friendships. Uh, I have a friendship with a person that uh, I learned some years ago, there are some things you just don't do. Do you have any friends like that? You know, so they're just, I mean, like me, if I think of something, I usually say it. And uh, this friend is not like that, which is surprising to me. You know, uh, they don't. Uh, uh, when we go out or do something uh, and I find out that, you know, if it's your birthday, you get to wear the sombrero on your head, I'll tell them it's my birthday. You know? They'll say, but this is your sixth time this month. <clears throat> It, but friendships are like that. And there's some things you do and some things you don't do in friendships because of people's temperament and personality. And we said last week that there are some things in this friendship with the Holy Spirit that we do not want to do. Two of them were, we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit, nor do we want to quench the Holy Spirit. And we looked at that, and if you're interested, you can go into some more detail. The other <clears throat> thing we said is there are some things that we do. with We don't do that. We do with the Holy Spirit. And the first one was we said to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we went into some detail about that. We ended here with uh, this uh, section that I want to begin with today. And this is the idea of being led by the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to look at this here under this topic. It's this, is being continually or regularly led by the Spirit. Being continually or regularly led by the Holy Spirit. I can tell you this, there's a lot of confusion about this. Uh, when I've taught at different places, uh, people have all kinds of notions and ideas about what does it mean to be led uh, by the Holy Spirit. And I want to try to try to work with you in some of that today on four different things. And we're going to get through them today. We have to. Uh, uh, four different things. <clears throat> yeah, this, this year. <clears throat> four different things uh, that have to do with, you could identify to say, this is what it means uh, to be led by the Holy Spirit. But let me say, by, by, by virtue of, of introduction here, uh, have you ever let anybody lead you before? You ever had, <clears throat> you know, I, I was thinking uh, some years ago uh, when Becky and I got married, it was 35 years ago now, uh, and uh, uh, we went to, <clears throat> I came up from Houston and went to Kansas. Had never really been in that area of the country before. And <clears throat> I've met my folks in Wichita and we drove across the beautiful state of Kansas and uh, got out there on Highway 50 somewhere, I know now, between Ulysses and a feedlot. And, uh, uh, <clears throat> yeah. And uh, we start driving with the directions that I have, which are fairly unsophisticated. And we don't have a cell phone. This is 1975, you know, back way back. And uh, so <clears throat> we're driving around, and I'm going down the road this way, and then I come back that way. And I decide I probably missed something going the other way. See, I'm a guy. I don't need directions. I need more time, right? <laughs> I don't need him. <clears throat> and so we keep driving back and forth, back and forth. And my dad and I, find, my dad stops. My brother's with us. <clears throat> we stop and we have a Sanders meeting on the side of the road. You know, truck, <laughs> people are going by us <clears throat> like crazy. And I mean, it, this is Kansas, folks. I mean, it is flat. It all looks the same. I don't know where I am now. I'm almost late to a rehearsal to get married. Becky told me that night that she thought that I wasn't coming. 
I told her your dad's prayers would have been answered then. <laughs> so we know whose prayers were answered. I remember standing on the side of the road and these trucks going by, and it's, it's August. It's hot. And again, that stuff doesn't smell like money out there. And they're, you know, going. Anyway, a pickup truck comes behind us and just comes in behind me. Guy gets out. Never seen him in my life. He said, you here for the Alexander wedding? <laughs> Serious. <clears throat> and, and I went, uh, uh, yeah, who are you? I'm Dwayne Alexander. I'm my Arlen's son, a brother. You want to follow me? You know, by that time, I was ready to follow anybody. <clears throat> <clears throat> and, and he led me to where I needed to go. Now, I just want to say that just as we begin this, part of the issue with us about being led by the Holy Spirit is that we're often not ready. We're not ready. We're not, we're not ready to kind of surrender that notion that we need to be led by someone else. Uh, Richard Rohr makes a statement here. He said he believes that the gospel and the 12-step program both begin with the experience of powerlessness. And this goes against everything in us, isn't it? This, this idea of powerlessness, that, <clears throat> that the spiritual life and the 12-step, and all these things, they begin when we admit that we need help. And I just want to begin by saying that being led by the Spirit isn't some mystical hocus-pocus thing here, but it begins with a notion that I need help, that I am not adequate in myself. Uh, it, it's interesting here. I, I made some, uh, wrote some things down, and this goes against how we think as Americans. Uh, you know, I, I remember people telling me this before, that if you want it bad enough, then you can do it. Right? It's kind of in our mentality, isn't it? If you want it bad enough, you can do it. No, you can't. <laughs> There's some things you may want you can't do. I'd like to be the power forward for the thunder, you know? <laughs> That's not going to happen. We need one, <clears throat> okay? I got all the motivation and all the desire. No skill, <clears throat> right? I, I want to. I can, no, I can't. I can't be the power forward for the Oklahoma City thunder. But we tell, if you, if you think you went, you know, all it takes is determination, you can do it. See, we, get, we, we don't want to come to the point of powerlessness. I, I read this somewhere, I can't remember when it said this, uh, and I don't remember what it was, the context, I can only imagine. But a guy said this, I'm an American, not American't. Please. <laughs> right? That's sort of our DNA, isn't it, though? That we think we can do it, give me more time, give me more energy and effort. Instead of really being willing to say, I need help. I, I want to show you a couple of pictures here. <clears throat> this is a guy named Tiger Woods. Uh, <clears throat> you know, some argued he's the greatest golfer. Not yet. He hasn't passed Mr. Nicholas yet. But, <clears throat> but it's interesting to me and fascinating that when you study his life or look here, this is Tiger. See how technical. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> this is Tiger here. <clears throat> and this is Hank Haney. I don't know if you know it or not, but Tiger Woods pays a guy named, it did, we're going to go forward. He paid a guy named Hank Haney thousands of dollars to work on his swing. Hank is standing there watching him and going to coach him up about what he needs to do, how he needs to correct, how he needs to adjust. Uh, for, uh, Tiger began years ago with a guy named Butch Harmon. And he and Butch <clears throat> kind of got out of sorts and he went to Hank Haney. And uh, Hank... Uh, Worked with him on a swing. What's fascinating to me is, do you know how many PGA tournaments Hank Haney's ever won? Zero. How does that happen? How does that happen that a guy who has won 
almost every major, some of them twice, is willing to pay a guy thousands of dollars to say, work on my swing. You know why? Because he understands the need to be led. Here's another one. This was fascinating. He he and Haney had a falling out. This is is, uh, Sean Foley. He's a, he's a uh, golf coach, and he's touching Tiger. I thought, boy, that, that'd be exciting, would it? He's working with him on his game, keeping his head down. Sean Foley here. Sean Foley went to Tennessee State University, that great bastion of golf, right? <laughs> right? The other insulting thing is he's from Canada. Nope. <laughs> you know, we need to invade Canada because if we don't, they're going to come down here and make us go to the metric system. <clears throat> I'm telling you. It's going to happen. <clears throat> Just get ready. Leaders, my aching back. <clears throat> anyway, this guy went to Tennessee State. He decided when he was a junior that he did not want to play golf professionally, but he wanted to coach. Tiger pays this guy thousands of dollars to work on his swing. Now, what would be the natural tendency of a powerful super athlete that have, that's won all the things that Tiger's won? To say, can do it on my own, right? I can figure this out. There's a story in Golf Digest I, or <clears throat> I read some years ago that in the middle of a tournament, Butch Harmon called Tiger Woods on his cell phone. And he said, I've been watching you play, and I know why you're not hitting the fairway. Do this and send a check. <laughs> <clears throat> Literally called him up on a cell phone. He did that, and it straightened Tiger's game out. Think, just think, I just want to, I'm trying to press something here is this. The reason that many of us at times are not led is because we don't think we need to be. We're adequate. We're complete. Now, I've told you this and said this a hundred times, and we're going to keep coming back at it again. But in the spiritual life, it is completely contrary and counterintuitive to the way you have to live at work. It is your sense of inadequacy that creates your capacity for the Spirit of God to work in your life. It is, it, 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 there's a direct correlation. It is with your sense of inadequacy that creates all the capacity. I said to Becky this morning we were talking, I said, you know, if, 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 if a person today, if all they're going to do is go to church, which, you know, that isn't too difficult. You can sit there and smile and act nice, most of you. And, uh, and, and then go to lunch... There isn't, there isn't much sense of inadequacy or isn't much a sense of the need for God to work in your life. So there's little capacity. You know, I'm going to church and I'm going to lunch. I mean, what, who can't handle that? On the other hand, if you were going tomorrow morning for exploratory surgery on your brain at St. Anthony's because they said we found something, but we don't know what it is, what do you think your capacity for God would be at that point? Sky high. Why? Because your inadequacy has forced you to face your need. Our problem is that we don't have those kind of mechanisms, if you will, that help us to understand. So what does it mean? What does it mean to be led by the Spirit? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to run through it quick. What being led by the Spirit in this friendship looks like. Now, you know what? A lot of underlying things here, but let me say this. If you don't and I don't have confidence that this friend really wants to lead us and help us, you'll never follow. I mean, that's just good mental health. 
I, I met a guy some years ago. I mean, I told you in the hospital and, and uh, when I was a, a visiting a person in our church. And um, it was a long drive, and I'm standing there and talking to the person in our church, and this other young man, about 26, is kind of looking at me and seems interested, and I thought, this is how shallow I am. I thought I could get two visits for one. <laughs> yeah, put that down on my log. So I just go over to him and I say, hey, I noticed you were listening while I was talking and praying my friend. Could I pray with you something, about something? He said, I don't believe in God. And I thought, Cliff, why can't you keep your nose out of people's business? <clears throat> you know, why, why are you so nosy? But you know what? <clears throat> it just occurred to me when he said that. He said, I don't believe in God. And I said, really, tell me about the God you don't believe in. T- tell me about that God. For 20 minutes... He told me about a God he couldn't please, that never was satisfied with him, that was never content, that always had more to do, that was constantly judging him, that was constantly on him, that never let up. And as a young man, he decided if that's the way God is, the better position would be an atheist. Just disallow his existence. When he got through, I said, I want to congratulate you. I put, scared him, really. I, I want to congratulate you. He said, Whoa, what do you mean, man? He said, I said, you have just demonstrated good mental health. Anybody that would trust a God that looked like that needs their head examined. Anybody that would put their life in the care of a God like that needs their head examined. And that's part of the problem. We're not confident or sure that God really has our best interest. And that's where the hang-up is half the time. Instead of saying, does this God really have my interest and does He really care? That's why Tiger puts himself in the hands of a guy named Sean Floyd or a Butch Harmon. He believes they have his best interest at a price (laughs) for his game. But that's the issue. That's the issue. You won't be led by someone you don't trust. That may be a place where you're going to have to do some digging around. So what does it look like? I want to hurry here. <clears throat> okay? Remember, the Scripture says this, and, and, and I want to ask you to open your Bibles now. <laughs> I meant to do that earlier. Go to the Gospel of John. Here's some words from Jesus that we're going to look at in the 16th chapter. In the 16th chapter of John. I told you that if you'd really like to spend some time studying um, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, uh, John 14, 15, 16, and 17 is, is just precious. It's just great. Think about what Jesus said here about this matter of this friend. In John chapter 16, beginning at verse 5. But now, Jesus speaking to his disciples, I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. Jesus said in verse 7, watch this, but I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Now, think about these guys. They've been three years with Jesus. They're listening, and he said, it's to your advantage. You know, I would have spoken up. I'm an extrovert. I would have said, uh-uh. No, I don't don't think so, Jesus. I I think we need you here. We need you. He said, it's your advantage I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper, or this is referring to the Holy Spirit, the helper, the friend, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Listen to what Jesus said. It's to your advantage. How many of us would rather today have Jesus show up in this room than to have the ministry of the Holy Spirit? I mean, I, thought, I would say, I'm there, right? Jesus is going to show up. Here he is. He's going to sit here in the third table. And I'd say, I'm for that. Jesus is saying, this is better for you if I go. 
Because if I don't, the Holy Spirit will not come to be with you. Now, the importance of that is this. It seems to me, or I'm going to suggest to you, that there are four reasons why that's important or why that occurs. And number one is to lead a life or a holy life. Remember, the name of the Holy Spirit is what? The Holy Spirit. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit. To lead a holy life. Now, I know that word scares people and makes them nervous. And we, we've got a lot of misunderstanding of the word holy. But it's pretty clear throughout the Scriptures. Here we are. You can go look in Galatians 5.16 that says, If we walk by the Spirit, we'll not fulfill the desires of the flesh. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 and 16, Peter makes this statement where God says from Leviticus, You shall be holy because I am holy. I mean, it's all through the Scriptures that, that the Holy Spirit's one of His roles in leading us is to lead us into a holy life. Now, I've always been fascinated with that because... Often we don't know what holy... Holy and weird are not synonyms, okay? I know some people think it is. Holy and weird are not. Holy and weird doesn't even mean, if you will, I, I, I take issue that it doesn't mean that you pull out a life. It, do, it doesn't mean that you re, re, separate yourself in this regard. Let me, let me just say it this. The word holy, kodesh in the Old Testament and hagias in the New Testament means this, to be set apart. To be set apart. What I understood when I was a kid growing up was that that meant that I was set apart from sinful activities. You're going to live a holy life, you're not going to do this. You know, we had our list. I, I found out that the Methodists could dance. I want to become a Methodist. Our, our list did not include that. And, and uh, I found out lots of churches have lots of different lists, which made me wonder if anybody had the right list. Right? It's more than that. It's not a list. But the word holy or codex means to be set apart. It not only means to be set apart from certain things. What I never got as a young person is it also means to be set apart to certain things. Let me explain this to you. It's not only set apart from certain things. It is set apart to certain things. I think of this uh, example, if you will, in athletics. Uh, elite athletes. You know, we got the World Cup going on now, and that's all exciting, and I think we're playing Portugal today, and, you know, people are watching. I'm saying, cut the field down. I want to see a soccer game 15 to 14 today, okay? You know, I just don't have that interest. Uh, but elite athletes, when you, when you read about them or study about them, you know, elite athletes follow this idea of holy in that they separate themselves from certain things in order to separate themselves to what, what they want is they want to become the best soccer player in the world, right? So that's what's driving the issue. How do they do that? Because they decide then, I'm going to separate myself from certain things. I've talked to elite athletes before. Uh, uh, this one, don't drink carbonated water. Don't drink why? Because it does something to your oxygen in your blood that doesn't enable you to play at a high level. I was talking with a guy one time at the cafeteria, and this guy wasn't an elite athlete, but he's one of the athletes at our school, and he's getting water. And I said, how come you're not drinking soda? Uh, it's not. Man, don't you know how great soda is? <laughs> don't you? I'm working for a dentist now, but don't you understand how great soda is? It's awesome. He said, Cliff, I don't want to drink soda because it does something to my body when I'm trying to play the sport. You see, this idea of holy separation from it's not just separation from stuff. 
It's separation to. See, we got it all wrong when I was a kid growing up. We just thought being holy was being separated from bad stuff. But we were never separated to God. It wasn't, it wasn't like that, that the, really the driving impulse or the magnetic pull in our life was that I would be separated to. You know, I've used this example before about Becky. You know, before I got serious with Becky, you know, I, I'd like to date around. I mean, I'm, I wasn't some big catch, you know, or something like that. I mean, there were people lining up. <laughs> hey, now, y'all don't have to laugh that much. <laughs> yeah. But before, before that, before meeting her, I would just say my affections and interests were disorganized. <laughs> I mean, I, told, I, I remember being on a date, going to the restroom and calling another girl on the phone, getting back. That didn't go well. I was disorganized in my affections. My affections were disorganized. When I met Becky, something happened. I, I, I was glad to separate myself from every other relationship in order to separate myself what? To this relationship. We got it all wrong. See, what, you can't live a holy life being led by the Spirit if all you're saying is what you're not doing, what you're staying away from, what you're resisting. It's just not possible. Uh, I love an author. You ought to read the book by Thomas Chalmers one time. He, I wrote, read it just a few months ago when he said this, that holiness, when the Holy Spirit leads us to separate from certain things because we're separating to God, he called it this, it's the expulsive power of a new affection. Listen to that. It's the expulsive power of a new affection. What expelled my interest in all those other girls that I said, well, i got to be good now? No, what, what was it? What expelled those affections for other girls at that time when I met Becky? Becky and her four brothers. No. <laughs> yeah. That was part of it. <laughs> we will kill you. <laughs> Listen, think about it. Love to God a desire to please Him. The Holy Spirit's trying to lead us to say that we would love God, that this love for Him would expel other affections because of this one great affection. I've told you before, the opposite of holy in the Old Testament New Testament is common. Not sinful, not ungodly, common. Just common. That's because... When something is set apart from things to God, it's no longer common. I'll show you something here. Somebody gave me the other day. I told you when I was about nine, my dad uh, stood in line at a Buick dealership for a Mickey Mantle baseball. And uh, my dad said to me and my brother, don't ever play with that ever. Put it on your dresser. It's to be set apart it's no longer what? Common. It's no longer common. The ball has a, 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 a signature on it that has now made it to where it's set apart from certain things. Two, now you can look at it on your desk, bring your friends over. Well, as nine-year-olds tend to be, one day, I mean, in my neighborhood, we had some serious baseball games. They were. They were like, you know, community-wide. We decided... We'd have that game. We get to play in and we beat the cover off a of baseball. And we're look, looking around like, I mean, we can't stop in the sixth inning. 
And one of the guys said, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I got a baseball to house. Yeah. You see Sandlot? That's me. We took that baseball and played with it and beat the cover off of it. Lost it. The fact that I'm standing here is a testament to my dad's godliness. When he found it. I told that story one time and a friend of mine called me up and said, hey, come by my office. Chuck Dar. And Chuck said, I want to give you something. Mickey Mantle Baseball. And he said, every time you look at it, I want you to remember your dad. You know what? This baseball cost about a dollar and a quarter. But because it's set apart now with somebody's signature on there, it's, if you will, in a new relationship from the common to the holy. Listen to me. When you follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit, God is saying to you and to me, I want you to be set apart to me. I just want you to be set apart to me. Let my values, let my interest guide you. I think sin is when we commonize our lives. That's the word. Sin is when we commonize our lives. When we just let anybody or anything get a hold of us. We, let any, we, we used to use this phrase at times in marriage. When I got married, we were in holy matrimony. That means I was set apart to one woman. One woman. All other relationships were set apart. Now I was set apart to her. That's what it means to be that. Now, I, I, there's a couple of... Oh, boy. Yeah. Okay. Twelve. Oh, this is unbelievable. Okay, here we go. Now, I don't have a lot of time to unpack all that, but I want to talk to you about some real, real practical things here. It's one thing to say that our life is set apart to God and, and that we're uh, you know, uh, uh, living our lives following Him, being holy. But I think there's a problem here that we haven't addressed, and that's how do we deal with sin and failure? How do we follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit when there's sin and failure? Okay? Let me suggest a couple of things real quick. And I think you've got a a blank there called three incorrect responses in dealing with sin. See that there? Three incorrect responses. I think people who are, if you will, committed to saying, I want to be led by the Holy Spirit. You know, I want to be led by Him and to live a holy life set apart to God have problems here. And there are three. You just jot them down real quick. One is that we just say, Jesus died for all my sins and it really doesn't matter how I live. Very few people do that, I'll, I'll admit. Jesus died for all my sins and it really does not matter how I live. I've had some students that have talked to me like that before. They just say, well, you know, I can, I'm okay. I mean, you died for all my sins, all past, present, and future, and I'm filling up the future. I'd say, well, I, that, that seems to be a bit contrary. Try that with your wife sometime, you know, that she loves you. And Second, uh, I think another one is that we try harder to be good. I live life trying harder to be good enough. I live life trying, you know, you, 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 you fail, you sin, and so you're just going to try harder. Somebody said this in my Bible study the other day, and I, I want to just, I don't think it's on your handout, but I just want you to think about this. That sometimes if we really have been committed to following Jesus and living a holy life for Him, 
and we're trying harder, it's because of this. I want to ask you this. Are you living forgiven or or are you on probation? Think about that. When you fail, are you sin? Are you really forgiven? Or are you living on probation? I, when I talk to people, and I, myself I've been there, there have been times when I thought, you know, I'm, I'm acting like I'm on probation. That one failure, one violation, you're out. You do something wrong, Cliff, and you're toast. I've got some other things to talk about that in the future. Or three, a third response I think that is uh, uh, incorrect, is we simply redefine sin as a mistake. We simply redefine it. I'm always amazed when I see people on television sometimes been caught. I was thinking of Elliot Spitzer the other day who was caught consorting with, with uh, uh, prostitutes and had to resign his office in New York and his poor little wife is standing right there with him while he's admitting this. And, and as he does, uh, he says this, I've made many mistakes. <laughs> I thought, dude, that's not a mistake. <laughs> that's a sin. That's not a mistake. The mistake is you got caught. <laughs> that's what you hadn't planned on. But we redefine it. Now look here in John chapter 16 where we were when Jesus says the the Holy Spirit when He comes or He will come and help you. Look at verse 8. And when He comes, when He comes, the Holy Spirit there, John 16, He will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. I want to ask you to consider something here. This this is part of the incorrect response. Uh, This word here, convict, it comes from the Greek word elego, And as you read it, different translations try to get at it because as the Holy Spirit's trying to lead you into a holy life, is He trying to convict you of of sin and righteousness and judgment? As I worked through that, I I looked at that. It makes a lot of difference how you understand this word. When the Holy Spirit comes to you, if you sinned or any person sinned, He convicts you. Now, when you get convicted, what? You're going to jail, right? We have a few attorneys here that know that. When they get a conviction, it's over. I want to suggest to you that this word, and you can see it in other translations, might easily be, and I'll show you how it works, is convince. Convince. The Greek term means to bring to light. So as to convince. To bring to light so as to convince. It also comes from the act, from the legal world. It means to cross-examine for the purpose of convincing. To cross-examine for the matter, if you will, of convincing someone. Some of us, I think, think when we're trying to live a holy life and being led by the Spirit and we sin, we got to take one of these tactics because we think God wants to convict us instead of convince. To say, Cliff, this is wrong. I want you to see this is wrong. Does it matter if you understand that the Spirit is trying to convince you? He's trying to help you and I understand. You, this is incorrect behavior. Not convict you like send you to jail. Not convict you like you're on probation. But the idea is that He would convince us so that we would come to the point of agreeing. <laughs> you're right. It is wrong. What are we going to do about it? This, this, this matter of... Of, of, of convincing instead of this idea of convicting. And you can go study the Word if you want to. I remember there was a guy in the church I pastored in Houston years ago. 
And he, he kind of he kind of represents this. He came to me one time after I got through preaching, and you know, I, man, I was carrying the mail that night. I was, I was, you know, I was, woo, I was on. And he came up to me after church, and he said, "Man, that was a great sermon." I said, "Well, you know, if you lie about that, you'd lie about anything." But anyway, uh, but he said this to me. He said, "You know, I can always tell when the Spirit of God is dealing with me." I said, "How's that?" He said, "He's stomping on my toes." Now my brain doesn't often get ahead of my mouth, or my mouth doesn't get on my brain. It just did there. <laughs> I, I I just said to him. I just said, Paul. I got you know. I just said, Paul, you're 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 mentally ill. You're mentally ill. If you believe the only time that God ever is speaking to you when He's beating your brains out, you're sick. Well, He didn't know what to do with that. You know, I didn't really. I, I didn't think. I, did I really say that? You know, Th- think about that. People that believe the Holy Spirit comes to convict them is to condemn them, to make them feel bad, to crawl all over them instead of saying, I want to convince you. Now, you know why this makes important distinction? Because the Scriptures tell us that we're when we realize we've sinned, we're supposed to do what? Confess it. Do you know what the word confess means? To agree with. Homo legeo. If He convinces you, you will what? Agree. If He convinces you, if He convicts you, if the way we work it, we feel like giving up. Does that make sense to you? The Spirit's work here is to convince of sin, of righteousness. Now let me, let me tell you three ways here. It'll be, this would be wonderful if this worked. Um, three, ways, three ways the Holy Spirit deals with us when we've sinned. Three ways you can know. Okay? Give them to you quick. I think they're on your outline there. Does that look right? Three ways the Holy Spirit deals. Number one, or A, specific, not cosmic. Let me explain that. When the Spirit of God deals with us in leading us into holy living, when we've sinned, you know exactly what it is. The Spirit of God doesn't deal in some kind of cosmic cloud that comes in and just says, you're rotten. You're no good. You're never going to make it. The Spirit of God, when it says in Hebrews 12, He will correct us. for what... Listen, it's specific. I meet people all the time when they say, well, I, just, I know I've done something wrong. Well, I don't know, but I just feel it. That's not the Spirit of God. This kind of dark cloud that just kind of comes in and comes over you and makes you feel terrible and makes you feel bad and I'm just a bad person and what is it? Oswald Chambers says in his utmost for his highest, he said it is an insult to God to say to him, if I've sinned, please forgive me. If you've sinned and you're being led by the Holy Spirit, you know what you did. Right? You know what you did. The Spirit of God isn't some kind of gomming around. That's my mom's great word from East Texas. Gomming around, sliding around. He's saying, Cliff, you said this. Cliff, you thought that. He wouldn't say that to you. Cliff, you did this. Right? Listen, it's not cosmic. It's not you're just a bad person and you're no good. It is very specific. So when you feel like that there's something that's being dealt with you and, you, and it's all cosmic and huge and big, I don't believe that's the Spirit of God. You know why? Let me tell you why the devil does that. I believe that's who it is. Because if it's cosmic and non-specific, you can't do anything about it. Right? If it's just cosmic, non-specific, you can't do anything about it. 
Why wouldn't the devil want to deal with you like that? You're just rotten. You're just no good. You're just bad. You're just a failure. You're not a good Christian. How do you deal with that? You resist it. Number two, it's hopeful, not despairing. When Becky and I were uh, uh, married soon, uh, early, we were talking one day. She remembers this. I was talking the other day. We were at a Dairy Queen, of course, because we were in Texas. And uh, if you know anything about Texas, if, you're, if you see a Dairy Queen, you know where you are. You say, I'm in Texas. Right? And we were talking, you know. And, and Becky said to me one time, she said, we were talking, she said, Cliff, when I fail or sin, which is hard for me to imagine Becky has ever sinned. I, really, I'm serious. She said, I feel like giving up. And it's just like a lightning bolt hit me. And I just said to her, who wants you to give up? Who wants you to give up, Beck? See, I'm telling you, some of us sometimes we're being led by the Holy Spirit. I think sometimes we're not being led by the Spirit. We're either being led by a hyperactive conscience or we're being led by a restrictive religion or we're being, we're being led by the enemy himself or sometimes by our own personality that just feels bad about ourselves. And if the Spirit of God is dealing, I believe He's going to bring hope. Go read Hebrews chapter 12 and he said, For God deals with us when He corrects us as sons, listen to this, that we might share in His holiness. Think about that. Why does God correct us? Why does He show us what's wrong? He's to give us hope instead of despair to say, we can share in His holiness now. Third, led, not driven. Led, not driven. I've watched this over the years with people. I watch my own life. I believe the Holy Spirit leads us. He is not compulsive. If you don't do this right now, if you don't do this in the next five minutes, I'm going to leave you. If you don't do it, you ever hear that? Or this sense like if I don't do it now, if I don't do it now, if I don't do it now, something bad is going to happen. Listen, the Spirit of God will lead, not drive. He's not a cattle rustler. He's a shepherd. He isn't running cattle to the railhead. He's leading sheep. And if the Spirit of God in leading us into holding, even after we've sinned, watch what's going on. Are you feeling driven and pushed and shoved? Is it compulsive? Is there lots of, air, uh, lots of push in it? Back up. Say, wait a minute. He's leading me, not driving. Gary? Can I, can I give you a verse on that? <clears throat> Just real quick. This, this is going slower than I thought. But I, I, want, I want you to look at this in, in 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Because I'm telling you, Gary, in my judgment, that has caused people so much pain. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. <clears throat> yeah, you missed, you missed it. They're going to hell now. It's all your fault. Yeah, you're the only person on the planet that uh, has the, the responsibility I'll just give you an example in Paul's life. Look at Hebrews, or 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul says in chapter 2, verse 12, Now when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ, a door was opened for me in the Lord. Now that's Pauline language to say God's will. The Lord opened a door. Verse 13, But I had no rest 
for my spirit, not finding Titus, my brother. But I prayed the prayer and stayed anyway. That's what it reads there for you? Look what he says. I took my leave of them and I went on to Macedonia. What did Paul do there? He had an open door that he knew was there and he left. The Apostle Paul. Why? No rest in his spirit. Now here's the verse, Gary, for me that's a kicker. The clincher. And I've never heard it yet. I'm 60 now. And I've never heard this verse preached in context yet. I'd like to someday. So Paul gets an open door. Something's going on. See, this is where we try to make people think that, you know, God doesn't care how you feel. God doesn't care what's going on in your life. God doesn't care what your circumstance is. You just serve. I mean, I've heard that. I've said that. I'm sorry to say. That God never takes into account what's going on in you. So he said, I had no rest in my spirit. Look at verse 14. But thanks be to God who always leads us in His triumph and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. Paul could say, my God is big enough that when I even have to walk away from a place, when I even have to turn away from an open door of opportunity, a ministry that could have but worked, that God still leads us in His triumph. That ought to make us the most relaxed, the most joyful, the most contented people on the earth instead of nervous, uptight, weirded out, I'm afraid I've blown it, something's wrong here, instead of saying, God, you're going to lead me in your triumph even when I blow it. Now, i got to get an amen out of that. You know? Just everyone, okay. Does that answer your question, Gary? Because I'm telling you, you're going to get, this is what I call personal opinion, thoughts and opinions of this teacher, not necessarily thoughts and opinions across the community, church, church, elders, or leadership. This spiritual abuse, man. That is spiritual abuse to say that God never con- is concerned with you. Now, let me give you one more thing. i got to hurry. We're not going to finish. We'll, we'll finish some year. <clears throat> so when he comes, he'll convince. Think of that. Not conv- convince. God's work is to show you, to help you to agree with Him. The second thing that you're going to be led in holiness is this, is led as a son, not a servant. Led as a son, that's number two, not a servant. I'm going to give you the verse, go read it, it's Romans 8, 14 to 15, where Paul makes this statement, for we've not received the spirit of slavery to lead to fear again, but we've received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Listen to that. He said, for you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received the spirit of adoption whereby you cry, Abba. I want to say this to you. If you and I are being led by the Spirit, not only will we be led into a holy life, separated to God, we will be led in in a life where we are a son and not a servant. Some of us, my judgment, being around people that I have, believe that our value to God is based on what we can do and how much we can perform and what we can produce. And that'll work until we get older. And we are, aren't we? (laughs) Until we don't produce, until we can't perform, then what? Are you 
Are you important to God? Am I important? Does God lead you in the spirit of slavery? Where you fear? Again? Where you live your life worried that at any moment that the sword of Damocles, if you remember that story, is going to fall and cut you in half? The idea here from Paul is that we really are a son and a daughter. You know, the history of Rome is fascinating. When you think about this, that, that the, the, the Roman world was full of slaves. There were over a million slaves throughout the empire. Slavery was always understood as something that occurred through conquered people. And Israel, when you read the Old Testament, understood themselves. I've got a list here if you want That Israel considered themselves the servant of God all through it. Jesus comes and the New Testament norm is to be a child of God, a son or a daughter. <clears throat> Look when he says Abba. Did he says there, he says, for you received the spirit of slavery, not to, a spirit of sonship, not to slavery, but you received the spirit of adoption. We cry Abba, Father. You know, the Jews were scared to use the name of God. They wouldn't say Yahweh. <clears throat> they, they would put four <clears throat> marks in the Dead Sea Scrolls when you look at them. <clears throat> For the name Yahweh, four, four blanks. That's it. They would not use His name. The rabbis taught that if you misused the name of God, it was unforgivable. You could not go to heaven if you ever misused the name of God. So that's why they never used it. This Jesus comes around and says, Hey, you know the God you're afraid to use His name? Here's what you need to call Him. Daddy. What? Are you kidding me? We go from Yahweh that we won't say all the way to Abba, which means daddy. It's a fairly real intimate <clears throat> term here. John Wesley commented on this when he said there are two types of Christians. He fears those who have the spirit of the slave and those who have the spirit of the son. Those who live their life by the grit and grist of their performance. Those who live their life by the grit and determination to perform and produce. And when they can, they feel great. That's how you know. Let me, let me tell you how you know if you got the spirit. I've got to let you go. Here's how you know if you have the spirit of the slave or the son. Here's how you know. Okay? Here's how you know. When you do the best you can, or you're just living life, and things don't go well, you know, you, you're just living life, then the best you can, and you feel far from God, you have the spirit of the slave. You have the spirit of the slave. The son understands, and the daughter, this is my dad. This is my father. This is the relationship of sonship, not slavery. So I want to tell you, if you've been being led in your life into this sense of slavery, into this sense of fear, where Paul says fear again, you need to confront that. You need to confront it and say, the Spirit of God will lead me into the spirit of sonship, where I cry, Abba. Now that seems, that, that for some of us, that's going to seem real weird. It's going, to, it's going to seem hard. I just want to tell you this week, please, this week, would you, when you pray to God, when you talk to Him, would you just, for one week, use the word Abba, or Papa, or Daddy? Just this week. Just, just, just call Him Papa. Call Him Daddy. Call him Abba. But to say, I'm going to confront this spirit <clears throat> that I have at times that gives me that spirit of slavery instead of a spirit of son. Let's pray. I, I know, I'm sorry. We, 
We've got more to do. We'll, we'll deal with this. I, there's some other things about being led we'll look at. Lord, you know that we, uh, we struggle at times with this matter about leadership. Sometimes it's because we're not sure we can trust you. We need your help. Help us to look at Jesus. Help us to look at him and see him clearly that we can trust him. We can trust you. And that as we're living our lives, that we would be led by your Spirit into holy living, into living a life separated to you, not just from everything, but to you. And that we might live a life where we are being led as a son, not a slave. Lord, we need you to help us with this. We've got so much religion packed up in us and so many religious ideas that at times it is so difficult to hear the gospel again of the good news of Jesus Christ. So we submit ourselves to your leadership and we pray this in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to keep working on it.